Hey everybody, this is Pastor David with We Are Church. I just want to thank you for taking the time to tune into this podcast. Here at We Are Church, our mission is to be a place where people come to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways we do that is through the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. So I just pray that this message would challenge you to take your faith to the next level and you would find freedom in every area that you need. God bless you and enjoy the message. Praise God. Um, <clears throat> so last week we, we we stepped away from the I am statements. We've been in the in the I am statements in the Gospel of John since we launched the church. And we've just really been getting into the Gospel of John about the uh, the character of Jesus and who Jesus is. And so we, the, the first week we talked about how he was the Messiah, where he said, I am the Messiah, and how he came to save us from our sin. The second week we talked about how he is the bread of life, that he satisfies spiritual hunger, he conquered spiritual death, and he offers eternal life. In the third week, we talked about how he's the light of the world, how he brings structure, order, and life to our chaos, and that through his light we eliminate the darkness in our lives. And we talked about how he was the gate for the sheep, that he's the only access into the sheepfold, and in him we find rest, protection, and eternal security. And then the last I am statement we went over was how he said he was the good shepherd and that the good shepherd sacrifices his life, that he laid down his life for the sheep. And how he came to give us life and life abundantly and that everything that we need in our lives can be found in him. And that there's nobody else that is, is more qualified to shepherd us and to lead us and to protect us and to guide us into everything. There's nobody more qualified than Jesus. So this week we're going to get into the I am statement where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the Gospel of John. Chapter 11, and we'll start in verses 1 through 6. The Gospel of John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1 says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory for this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. We started off this, the I Am series discussing the necessity of, of how important it is for us to actually have a true revelation of who he is. And we went back to, uh, to, the, to, to Matthew where Jesus comes to his disciples and he asked them, he said, who do people say that I am? And they started to list off these different people. Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're, you're one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, well, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter tells him, he says, he says you are the, you're the Messiah. 
You're the savior of the world, the son of the living God. And he said, bless, Jesus tells him, blessed are you, Simon. He said, I'm changing your name to Peter, which means rock. And he said, because man did not reveal this to you, my father in heaven revealed this to you. And he said, because of that, I'm changing your name to Peter, which means rock. And he said, upon that rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he tells him, he says, behold, I'm giving you keys to the kingdom of heaven. He says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It was the revelation of who Jesus was that he wants to build his church on. And so when he asked him, he said, who do people say that I am? And he said, well, who do you say that I am? He's saying, man, forget what you heard about me. Who do you say that I am? Because a lot of us have grown up with this, this perception of who we think Jesus is because all we know about him is what somebody else has told us or what some preacher has told us or what our parents have told us. And, and, and unless we know him personally, unless we get to have a revelation of who he is personally, we'll never have the access to the kingdom of heaven and the authority that we need in our lives to overcome the things that we struggle with. It's the revelation of Jesus that he wants to build his church home. And so we're going to jump into this real quick. There's a few different ways that Jesus revealed himself in verses 1 through 6. Verse 3 says, The two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. He's revealed as a dear friend. Verse 4 says, but when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. John is very intentional about mentioning little details like that. Because John understands how, it can, how, how, a, how God can seem distant from us. That we can, it can seem like he's just up there, but that he's not actually right here with us or that he actually wants to be intimate with us. And so he makes sure he adds little statements like that, that your dear friend is very sick. So we see that Lazarus has already had a relationship with Jesus. So they come to him and they say, man, your dear friend is sick. And Jesus tells him, he says, Lazarus's sickness will not end in death. It happened for the glory of God so that the son of God will receive glory from this. First, he reveals him as, as, as a dear friend. Then he reveals him as the glory of God. John 1, 14 says, so the word became human or flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Jesus is revealed as the glory of God. And everything that we do should be to give God glory. What's crazy about this text is Jesus tells him, he says, Lazarus' sickness won't end in death. It happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And so some of us, we go through certain struggles in life. And what we don't understand, it might seem like God has left us or God hasn't pulled us out of our mess or God is allowing certain things to fall apart. And it seems like God doesn't care about us or God doesn't love us. But in our reality, sometimes God allow, allows us to go through things so that he can get the glory when he changes your situation.
or when he pulls you out of the pit or when he leads you away from the destruction or when he takes somebody who's been out in the world their whole entire lives and then he transforms them and he changes them. That's how God's glory is manifested. So a lot of us have been walking around asking God, how can you allow me to continue to get to, to, to continue to struggle with this? God, how many times do I have to ask you to take it from me? Or God, why is my situation? Why are these people walking away from me? Or why is this happening to me? But it's because God will allow things to happen so that when he does intervene in your situation, everybody around you will know that only God could have pulled you out of the mess that you were stuck in. Amen. Yeah, y'all can clap for that. One of my points, your struggle is the setup for his glory to be manifested. And that can seem cruel sometimes, like my struggle, like you're going to let me struggle so that your glory can be manifested. Everything that happens in our life is supposed to be for the glory of God to be manifested. But it's our perception of the struggle, right? That when I start to go through some, some things, I got to realize, God, if all hell is breaking loose in my life, it's not even really about me. It's about the people that I'm supposed to reach. That God isn't just only concerned with how you feel, but he's concerned about the other people down the lines and generations and generations and generations to come that you are supposed to reach. So we got to switch our focus onto that. Another one of my points, your situation is the door that leads to his strength. When you finally kneel, God can take his stance. The end of our strength is the beginning of his. Because a lot of us have been running in our own strength for so long, trying to be the gods of our own life. And it is only when we run out of strength that we actually reach out for his. I remember my bottom. I remember sitting in a jail cell, nobody putting money on my books. Nobody answering my phone calls. Nobody sending me any letters. The letters that I did got were from the two people I cared about the most that decided to get married and, and, and leave me and all of it. And it was just betrayal and it was hit after hit after hit after hit. But you know what? I knew that I was all out of strength. I said, God, I can't do this anymore on my own. So if you're going you're gonna to have to be the one that changes me because everything else in my life is falling apart and everybody else had given up on me. I spent my whole life blaming my parents for my actions and my behaviors. I did have a rough life. I did grow up in a dysfunctional family. My father was an alcoholic. My mama was a drug addict that, let, that, that chose men over her children. Yeah, okay, I was dealt a bad hand, but I, I, instead of saying, God, like, use that to change me, and instead of becoming the father that I should have been and be, being the opposite of my parents, I became exactly what I hated. But when I finally said, man, God, you know what? I, I don't want you to get me out. I'm not going to ask you to change my circumstance. I need you to change me through my circumstance. I was at the end of my rope. And God snatched me out the pit. Verse 5 says, says, so although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was. For the next two days. It's easy to skip over that reading it. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. But John is very intentional 
about making sure, again, that we know that Jesus intimately loved Martha, he intimately loved Mary, and he intimately loved Lazarus. And the reason he mentions that is because he knows that when it seems like Jesus is, is, is absent in our time frame, it's often perceived as him being absent and loving us. But sometimes, time is a tool that God will use to intervene in our life. Right. When we when we think that we should get something faster than we do or when it seems like God isn't going to move. And it never makes sense when you're going through it at all. It never makes sense when you're going through it. You can never see it. But when you look back, every time you look back, you can say, man, God, I seen you taking those people out of my life. Right. I seen you took the woman that was my biggest downfall out of my life because you were going to bless me with a woman who loved you, right? That had a heart for you that was going to be the backbone in my family that was going to push me closer to your heart that was going to, you know, support everything I did in ministry that was going to believe in me, that was going to hold me accountable, that was going to edify me. So we don't understand these things when we're going through it and, and, and we're used to just self-destructing. But God is saying, man, look, the end of your strength is my strength and you just got to trust that no matter what happens to you, it always leads to abundant life. We talked about that the last I am statement, that it's easy to say, man, like he came that we could have life and life more abundantly. And we talked about Abundant life never, it doesn't exclude us from the trials of life, right? So when we're on the mountaintop and we're blessed and finances are going good and we got a good job and vehicles are running great and, and, and everything seems like it's good, like, yes, that's, that's abundant life. But when the trials of life hit us and they smack us, we still have to remember that no matter what this feels like on the other end of this is abundant life. And Jesus was very intentional about making sure that we knew that we were going to go through the trials and the storms of life. He was very intentional about making sure we know that just because we believed in him, it did not exclude us from the trials of life, but that, 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 that since he knew we were going to go through them and it was inevitable that we had to go through that process, that's why he sent us the Holy Spirit. And so he sent us the comforter to comfort us in a time of discomfort. And we have a power, we have a peace, we have a strength. In the midst of our storm, we're not excluded from the storm, but we have access to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells his disciple, his disciples, he, he, he tells him, he said, man, OK, he waited there a few days and he's like, man, we, we, we need to get back because Lazarus has fallen asleep. And his disciples are like, well, if he fell asleep, then that means he's healing, like he's going to get well. And Jesus says, no, he didn't fall asleep. He's dead. Lazarus is dead. And he says, for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there because now you will believe. One of my points, de devastation leads to desperation. And desperation placed in the hands of Jesus leads to life. Ultimately leading to him being glorified by your belief in him. That it's only when we actually they, they, they talk about it in recovery that we've been given the gift of desperation. That it's only when you become desperate enough to actually reach out and, and, and give your life to Jesus. That when you actually place it in his hands that he can actually come in and do something to us. That's what leads to life. Desperation. People who are actually hungry enough to actually change. Because we're tired of living like this. On our own. John 11. We're going to jump down to verse 17. 
says when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Notice he says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Even after dying. She thought he was talking about a physical resurrection that takes place on the second coming of Christ. He'll be resurrected on the last day. She thought he was talking about that, but he said, no, you live now that I am the resurrection and the life now that I'm about to I'm, I'm about to my, my power is about to be manifested in man now that I'm going to come and resurrect some things and shake some things up now that when she was looking for hope that he said I know that you're looking for a future hope but there's a hope right now that's about to take place and I'm about to resurrect some things amen We have a physical resurrection that's going to take place on the last, last day, but I want to talk about the spiritual resurrection that's going to take place now that's available to us now that we need to be reminded of that not only did Jesus come so that we can have eternal life, but that he came to give us a life and a power right here, right now. And it's available to us because if we don't know that it's available to us, then we're not actually going to want it or reach out for it. But once you know that it's available and you can see it in the lives of other people and you know deep down in your heart that Jesus wants to give it to you too, then maybe you'll start to develop the, a hunger for the things that can really empower you and transform your life that when you actually know that God doesn't just want me to come and sit in a chair but that he wants to use everything about me and about my personality and about my character and that he wants to give me spiritual gifts to speak to other people that he wants to give me the ability to lay hands on the sick and watch them be healed right that he actually has a purpose and a plan for you when we realize that those things are available to us, when I started realizing, oh, my God, you want to give this to me. Like, I was like, God, I, can, I want everything you can give me. Give me the gift of prophecy. Give me the gift of it. Like, I want to lay hands on the sick. Like, I was fired up because I'm like, and then when I didn't get them yet, and it was like little things that God started giving me these different, these different fruits of the spirit and different gifts, like one by one. But I've, I've always been hungry to walk in the fullness of what God has for me. I don't want to just sit on the sidelines and sit in the seats. Like, I never wanted to stand in front of anybody and actually be on a platform, but I wanted to be used by God in whatever way he was willing to use me. Whether it was on the city bus, whether it was in my workplace, wherever it was, I always desired that. And y'all know I love studying the word in Greek. And so I want to break this word down, resurrection, because, man, it's powerful. There's so much more in the Greek to what this word means. than when we, we just hear resurrection, we literally just, we think about a body being raised up. You know what I mean? Like, that's all we think about. But the word resurrection is so much more powerful in the original Greek text. So 
The word resurrection comes from the Greek word anastasis. Watch what it means. It means a standing up, a removal, a rising up, a setting up, a rising from a seat. It's the noun form of the word anastemi, which means to make stand up, to raise up, to wake up, to build up, to restore, to rouse to action, to stir up and to make people rise. So when Jesus is saying that I'm the resurrection, that he's not only saying that I'm what's going to raise the, the dead on the last day, but he's saying, man, I'm, I'm the thing that'll make you go from sitting down to standing up. That I'm the person that'll raise up a generation of people that were broken and crippled and I will empower them to change this world. He said, I'm the only thing that can stir you up. I'm the only thing that can make you go from crippled to empowered and walking in my strength. That he is the only thing in our lives that will empower us to do something different or something extraordinary in this life. And we can go past these words like resurrection when Jesus is saying, I am the re everything that he says he is. He's saying that's what's available to you. And so he's not saying, I'm just, I'm the resurrection. He's like, I am all of these things that are available to you. That if you just receive me, that if you just invite me into your life and let me do what I want to do, that I will instill things inside of you that you don't even know you're capable of. Man. To make stand, to raise, to wake up. I believe in this season that God is waking up his people that have fallen asleep. <laughs> that there's been too many people, too many churches, too many pastors, too many people that haven't been preaching the right gospel, that they have just been trying to come and bring you to a place where you sit in the seats and you continue to come back and that you just get spoon fed the word of God. But God is waking up a generation of people that just can't keep the things that God is doing inside of them contained. But they have to tell somebody about what Jesus is doing. That when I was set free and delivered from drugs, I couldn't walk past somebody that was being stuck, that was stuck in addiction without saying something. When God does something in my life, I can't keep quiet about it. He's raising up a people who are unashamed of the gospel. That when you taste the real freedom, the real power and the real deliverance that's available to you, you won't be able to be quiet. You can't tell me you've experienced the power of God if you ain't talking about it. If you're not just talking about it, but walking it, but, but, but if, if there's, if you're not missional, if there's nothing about you in life that tell that inside of you that's saying, I got to give somebody this, then you haven't experienced the fullness of God because it's impossible. Everybody who had a radical encounter with Jesus from the beginning of the gospels to the end of the gospels, every time he set somebody free, every time he healed somebody, every time he healed a leopard, every time he opened up the eyes of the blind man, when he touched the woman at the well, they all ran and told everybody about this man that changed their lives because it's impossible to experience the power of God and keep it inside of you. We talked about it last week that a lot of us have grown complacent in our walk with God and that the fire is dying down because we talked about you can't keep the fire of God inside of you if you don't give it away. That every gift that God gives you is to be given away. Because everything God creates reproduces. 
He created Adam and he created Eve and he told them to be fruitful and multiply. He created cows that are fruitful and they multiply. He created trees that bear seeds that create trees that create fruits and everything that you see that comes from God reproduces and gives back and continues to give back and give back. When God births something new inside of you, if you don't give it away, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. Say, we'll know them by their fruit. That every one of us, we can escape judgment for our sins, but we still have to face the throne of God and give an account for every work that we have done. For every idle word that's came out of our mouth, that when when the end time comes, he's going to say, what did you do with the gifts that I have given you? And some of us are going to say, what gifts? What are you talking about? Because we ain't asking the question, God, what did you create me to do? God, what kind of gifts have you given me? How do you want to reach people? But there's going to come a time where God is going to say, what did you do with the gifts that I have given you? How did you lead people into the kingdom of God? Because we think that only people that stand on pulpits are supposed to be preaching the gospel or out there reaching people. No, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's for every single Christian. Right? It's for all of us. The problem is we just don't know how to do it. But that's why that's that's the job of the people that have supposed to preach to you your whole life that the pastors, the teachers, the evangelists, the prophets, their their job is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry. And in Revelation, it tells, they said they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not fear their lives even unto death. It's the testimony. It's it. That's key. What has God done for you? Right. How is God moving in your life? That when you say, man, I experienced God at church Saturday in a way that I've never experienced before. That he met me here. That he reached something inside of me I didn't even know was there. That I felt something lifted off of me that when you start talking about what God is doing in your life, that it is contagious. And that people will want to know more about who this God is that is changing your life. I've never stepped on a corner. I've never stood on a corner and and told people to turn or burn. Never, never once. But I've told people about the goodness of the Lord. I've told people about what he's done for me. And I've seen a good number of people come to Christ. And nine times out of ten, I ain't even got to tell them because they're looking at my life. And they're saying, man, how did you do that? Right? Right? How are you? How are you here today? How are you sober? How did you work out your marriage? How you know, how did you get where you are in your life? Like, where did this come from? Those are opportunities to say, man, honestly, my life didn't look like this before, but God did this in my life. Right. It's those little things. That are going to lead people to the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. 
My two favorite words in the Bible, but God. So rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Those two words right there, but God. That's the key to ministry. That's the key to you witnessing. Because I was a gang-banging drug addict, but God came into my life and he changed me. He gave me a purpose. He gave me a family. He gave me a chance to be a father from start to finish again. He restored my relationship with my kids. That I was this or I was that. Whatever it was that you were, that I was an alcoholic or, I mean, I I was a prostitute or I was unfaithful to my husband and my marriage fellowship. Like, whatever it is that, but God, that if you allow God to come into your life, he can do what no one else can do. That's how I always witness. When I see somebody struggling and I say, man, do you want help? Man, I don't want to hear about God. I don't want to hear about God. But I I relate to the struggle because if you can relate to the people, you can reach the people. There's people that I can't reach because you got similar struggles to people that you can reach. But that when we're willing to say, man, my life looked like this. Whether it's steward, I didn't know how to steward my finances. But God did this, this and that, you know, whatever it is. I, I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to be a father. Because I didn't have a good earthly father, but God came into my life and by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he taught me how to, you know, everything in my life happened because God came in and he showed me and he walked me through a process and placed people in my life that were willing to help me and lead me. Amen. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. So that word life comes from the Greek word zoe. This is a a hard word to grasp and really translate it. It means living substance, property, or existence. It's really hard to, to break down this word because when we talk about this word, it's not just a physical condition or a social experience. It's a way of existence. And it's the person, the person of Jesus. Colossians 3, 4 says, when Christ, who is our who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Philippians 1, 21 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Galatians 2, 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in, fa- in faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I want to repeat that scripture one more time. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live in faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He said, the life I live now, I live, I live in faith in the son of God. We place our faith in anything else. You place your faith in money, you place your faith in in a job, you place your faith in a woman or in a man that this world will always fail you. But if you place your faith in the son of God, you can't be shaken. So we read these scriptures where it's talking about it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that Christ is my life, that for me to live is Christ. 
And to die is gain that when we're talking about these things, that it's not it, Christianity is not just something, a religion that we claim that it's a lifestyle, that it's a way of life and a way of freedom that can only be found in him. There's no other way to receive the freedom, not only just to escape the penalty of sin and to experience eternal life, eternal life later, but to find freedom now. Because every other religion is things that you can do by your works that might possibly one day get you into the kingdom of heaven. But Christianity is God coming down to man to bridge the gap and to heal us now. Because he doesn't just want to save us and leave us stuck in our bondage. Like what? How does that make any sense? Like, I get to go to heaven, but I'm still going to struggle with porn. I get to go to heaven, but I'm still going to struggle with addiction. I'm going to get to go to heaven, but I'm still struggling with suicide. I'm going to get to go to heaven, but I'm going to live the rest of my life in anxiety and depression. Like, what, what, how does that make any sense? That God said, I don't just want to save you from the penalty of those things, but I literally want to save you from them. And the difference is, he said, I want to use the thing that almost destroyed you. To be the thing that you witness and tell people that I brought you out of. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion that you can find. That God said the brokenness, the mess, the, the, the outcast, like that's what I'm going to use. Life apart from Christ isn't living at all. It's merely existing. John 11 verse 32 says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people welling with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him? But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, pro protested. He said, Lord, he has been here. He has been dead four days. The smell will be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. See the emotion? Deep anger welled up in him. He was deeply troubled. Jesus wept. He's still angry when he arrived at the tomb. And a lot of people talk about this anger and talk about the emotion of Jesus and that, that the reason Jesus was angry was because the effect that death had on his people. But if we look at it and we actually see what it was that led up to it, because Jesus wasn't surprised, surprised by the death. Remember? He said, we're going to wait two more days. Even though he loved him so that God's glory could be revealed. Like he already knew the outcome of this. So it wasn't death that surprised Jesus or that, that, that made Jesus angry like that. Watch this, verse 21, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. 32, when Mary, we're gonna go to verse 32, it says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Then we got the people, they're saying, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? The crazy part is that there's faith in every one of these statements. Watch, if only you had been here, you could have kept him from dying. You could have kept him from dying. They believed he was able to, but what really made him upset was the fact that they thought it was too late for him to move. That Mary said, you could have kept him from dying. Why weren't you here? That Martha said, you could have kept him from dying. And then everybody else was saying, well, he healed the blind man. Couldn't he have kept him from dying? It wasn't the, the effect of death. It was that they had thought that it was too late and that it was too, that, that there was no, that he wasn't able to intervene in their situation. I wonder how many of us in this room think it's too late for God to restore our marriages. How many of us think it's too late to become the fathers or the mothers that God created us to be? How many of us think it's too late to get the things that God desires or to be used by God or to achieve anything great in our lives that we think it's too late? It's too late. God, I've already destroyed my life. I've already burned too many bridges. I've already caused too much harm to my children. Can I tell you that that breaks Jesus' heart? That you believe that it was possible for, possible for you at one time or that God would have done it before, but you think he won't do it now. That when you think that you're too broken or too far gone for God to come in and completely transform your life, that when you think that your situation is too dead for him to resurrect it, that when you think that God can't come in right now and completely transform you and turn your world upside down and use you, that when you think it's too late for him to move in your life, it breaks his heart. Because he never stops loving you. He never stops pursuing you. He never gave up on you. A lot of us have thrown our hands up and just said, man, I'm done trying. I'm done trying to get my life right. I'm done trying to be a productive member of society. I'm done trying to work out my marriage. I'm done trying. And we've thrown our hands up because we think it's too late, man. We think it's never going to work or it can never be fixed or that he can never breathe life into a certain situation. I promise you, it breaks his heart. They thought it was too late, man. Jesus is not limited by time. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance, and he said, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. So one of the reasons Jesus waited four days is because Back in those days, there was a superstition that, that the Jews believed that once a, uh, once a person dies, that their spirit would hover over the body for three days. And so Jesus purposely waited four days so that they would know that no matter what, that it was his power, that it was by the power of God and by his, the authority given to him that this man had been given life and was resurrected again. But it's... Lazarus' sisters didn't see that while they were going through it. We don't, we don't think about how God needs to 
move in a certain situation or, or wait on certain things or take certain people out of our lives or lose certain jobs so that we can be promoted or whatever it is that, that God is trying to do that when we're going through the process, we don't see it until we look back at it. She said, but he's been dead four days. The stench will be horrible. Another one of those things where we think, man, God don't want to get in here and try to clean this up. Too far gone. I mean, way too deep. I've already thrown it away. I've already done this. I've already given my life to Jesus 20 times and walked away from him. He don't want me no more. I've already been in and out of jail and kept, kept promising my kids the world and kept leaving them out here. They don't want nothing to do with me no more. God can't move on this situation. And we think that our sin stinks too bad for God to get dirty and get his hands in and do something and clean us up. But he is not afraid of your sin or afraid of your mess. He ain't scared of it. It's what he died for. That he came exactly for that reason. That that's the reason that he stayed on the cross when he could have called 10,000 angels to come down. That that's the reason that he drank the cup of suffering that was in front of him because he seen you sitting in these rooms today knowing that if he did not endure the pain that was set before him, you would not be able to experience the freedom that he has for you and live for eternity with him. Yeah, y'all can clap. All two of y'all. All two of you, thank you. <laughs> There's a quote by Corey Tim Boom that says, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. My spiritual mama, she, she's had that on her voicemail since I've known her. That little, that little quote right there, that there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. That's what makes it beautiful, that no matter how far into the mess that we are, that God's love can reach down into that pit and pull you out. It's his love that changes us. It's his love that moves us. It's his love that compels us. That when God sends out his word, he heals you and he snatches you from the door of death. Psalms 107. Watch his response. He says, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? I wonder how many people in this room today believe that it's not too late. I wonder how many people believe in this room that God is able to move in your circumstance. I wonder how many people still believe that there's still hope for your family members that are still out there. Like, do we really believe that? Like, do we believe that it's actually possible for God to do something good for us in life? Because a lot of us, we live like God doesn't want anything good for us, right? That, but when we walk in the fullness of God, that when we know that God is for us, that if God is for us, who can be against us, right? That we're blessed and highly favored, that we're the head and not the tail, that, that God has given us authority and that we can walk in that. And that no matter what comes around us, that nothing will ever stop us or separate us from the love of God or stop the mission that God has for us in life. When we know that God is for us, that no matter what my circumstances look like, if I just keep walking, my steps are already ordered. Right? Like we could freak out about the schools wanting to uh, telling us we can't meet here until the coronavirus is over. But I'm not tripping. Why? Because I already know, like we wouldn't be in these seats or in this room today if God wasn't in this right now. 
Our steps are already ordered. We just got to walk, man. We just got to keep going forward. And God is going to work it out. So they rolled the stone aside, and Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Let me get you to come up here real quick, Nicole. So they rolled the stone aside and said, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him, let him go. The crazy part is, it's when God moves, even when we don't believe, right? That he's so good that even when you doubted him, he changed your situation, right? That when I didn't have full faith and full confidence in him, that he still moved my behalf, right? Look at that. He said, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? But none of them said, yeah, we believe that you're going to do this right now. That They were still worried and saying, man, couldn't he have saved him? Couldn't he have done this? They still thought it was too late. And he said, roll the stone aside. And Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Right? That is when God says, even though you doubt me. Even though you don't think I'm even uh, capable of changing your life, that I'm going to come down there and I'm going to do a work in your life in spite of what you think about me. That when Thomas didn't believe that Jesus was resurrected and he said, I'll believe it when I see the nails, the nail holes in his hands. That Jesus came and he said, no, nah, I want you to feel into these holes that even though Thomas doubted that Jesus had been, arrested, res been resurrected the same way that he told him to, he came down and showed him. And I promise you, if you're in this room today, and you say, man, I, I've heard this preached a thousand times. Man, I've heard too many people talk about Jesus but live the same way. I've seen too many people live a different life, a double life. I don't want anything to do with that religion. I don't want anything to do with it. I don't care what it is that you're doubting about Jesus. I promise you that when an invisible God becomes so real that it's so tangible that you can't deny it, I promise you that when you experience it, that when you see him do it anyways, it'll humble you. Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Watch this. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. Look what he tells the disciples. He tells them, unwrap him and let him go. It's the reason he told his disciples that because Jesus was the one to resurrect him. That it's, 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 it's God's job to bring the life and the resurrection and the power into the people that we want to see set free and see delivered. That it's God's job to do that work. But it's our job to unwrap the grave clothes off of the people that he resurrects. Right? I can see it. How many of us have been trying to get the grave clothes off by ourselves? We ain't allowed nobody to come alongside us and, and help us get the grave clothes off. But the reality is, is there's places that we can't reach that I can't get to that I need my brothers and my sisters to come in and say, let me help you. Let me walk with you in life. Let me help you come out of this struggle and help us remove the grave clothes. Ran into a story. 
read a story and I was reminded of it as I was preparing this sermon. December 7, 1988, there was an earthquake in the northwestern section of Armenia. It killed 25,000 people. And there's a book that's wrote about it called A Father's Love. And his father in this small town walked his kid to school. And as he was walking away, an earthquake hit and it completely collapsed the school that his son was in. And as he turned around and he looked at the school, it was completely leveled and it was just a pile of rocks. And he ran to this school just hysterical because he had left his son in this school. And all he could, could remember is him telling his son, I'll never leave you and I'll always be here for you and I'll always protect you and I'll always keep you safe. And he ran to this school and there was parents that were freaking out. They were screaming and crying and weeping for their kids. There was firemen that showed up and they just stood there thinking there was no hope. This man said, I, I promised him. That I'd protect him. I promised him that I'd never leave him. I promised him that I would take care of him. And so he went to a place. He, he climbed the rubble and the rocks and he started digging in a place where he thought his son's classroom was. Four hours go by and he's just, he's digging and he's just crying. I promised him I would never leave him. I promised him I would protect him. Eight hours go by. The firemen ain't helping him. The, the other parents ain't. They're like, man, this man has lost his mind, but he's got to try. He's got to keep going because he promised his son that he'd always be there for him. Eight hours, 12 hours go by. 24 hours, 32 hours, 36 hours go by. And this man is just digging. He ain't sleeping. He ain't eating. And he's giving it everything he's got. And he's not going to stop until he gets to the bottom of this rubble and at least finds his son dead but he promised him he'd never give up the 38th hour he hears a cry come out from underneath the rubble and his son cries out daddy and he just starts weeping and he starts crying when the school collapsed there was a, it, two walls landed like that on top of each other and it, it formed a pocket and there was 13 children and a teacher underneath the rubble and the son started yelling and he said, I told you that my daddy would come for me. And I told you when my daddy rescued me that he would rescue you. Because he promised his son that he'd never leave him. And he'd always protect him. That is love for his child was greater than the strength that it took in the rubble that was there that he never gave up on his child. And I wonder how many of you feel like you've been trapped in a place and that your situation was dead and it looked like nobody was coming to help you and that you would always be trapped in this. But can I tell you that God's love for you is greater? That you're here today because he said, I promised you I wouldn't leave you. I promised you I'd protect you. That the reason you didn't die while you were out there chasing this world is because I had my hand on your life and I still got a plan and a purpose for you and I'm here for you. The beautiful thing is, it's just like when he pulled his son out. He pulled more and more out that we can say, I told you that my daddy, that my father did it for me and he can do it for you, that we can reach the other people and we can lead them out of the destruction that his resurrection power will not just be for us, but it'll be about the people around us. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to this week's message from We Are Church. I trust that you are blessed and moved in a way that changes your life permanently and allows God to guide you towards your calling in Christ. If you want to make We Are Church your home church or feel moved to sow into We Are Church, we want to provide the means to do so. You can join or give online at weareministries.com and you can also reach us on our social media platforms at We Are Church Nashville. God bless you. Have a great week.